How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. It's Lisa Stanley, your Rentayenta, and today on my podcast, What Goes On Around Here, we have actor, musician, oh, and author, Sam Witwer, best known for playing Crashdown in Battlestar Galactica, a vampire in the hit TV show Being Human, and, well, you may recognize his voice since he is Darth Maul in Star Wars. Uh, I don't do a good impersonation, no, but he he will do it all, <laughs> and here it's he is. You're going to take it. <laughs> job for me. This is I'm not, not cool. going to take any jobs from you. It's Hi, cool. Sam. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? I'm so happy you are on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. So Sam and I know each other because we were fortunate enough. Uh, boy, it's been about four years now. Yeah, it has. Yeah, yeah. about four years ago to uh, be part of a Toyota's celebrity grand. Uh, what do you call it? Grand Prix, right? Yeah, I guess so. The celebrity Grand Prix races. Yes, uh, we had a good time. I sucked, but Sam did pretty good. I did all right. <laughs> Aside from the fact that I spun out of the actual race yeah. and managed to get back on track. But it was Corbin who really crashed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah, we had some serious wipeouts. We did have and some. Not only that, but in the in the in the practices we had wipeouts. Practices were deadly. <laughs> practices High mortality were deadly. rate in this particular group. <laughs> so that's how I met Sam. We've kept in touch over the years. I just adore him. He is just the coolest dude in the world. And uh, so here he is to tell us all about Sam. And let's start with where you grew up in Glenview, Illinois, a little place outside of Chicago. Chicago. And uh, tell us a little bit about growing up. I know you have a brother. Yes, indeed. My brother, Michael Whitworth, who I uh, co-wrote the the Dungeons and Dragons book that we haven't talked about yet. We uh, will. <laughs> but yeah, Glenview, Illinois. Just You got to picture John Hughes movies. Because it's around there that he shot a lot of that stuff. And it's, he, you mean he, like bref, Breakfast Club type of movies? Abs- well, I'll tell you what. The Breakfast Club High School is uh, within, what, five minutes drive distance from the house that I grew up in. Oh, how cool is so, that? So, yeah, I think I thought I was Bender. <laughs> I think that's who I thought I was. Um, but yeah, the, it was it was John Hughes land. John Hughes grew up around there. He shot a lot of his stuff around there. And so when when people go, oh, you know, John Hughes, that was my childhood. I'd be like, that was like actually that was your that childhood. Was my childhood. You only have one brother. One brother. Yeah. No sisters. No sisters. And um, your brother, like you mentioned, which we're going to get into later on, uh, helped you uh, co-write this book, Dragons and uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, is he a writer, your brother? Yes, yes, he is. Or he, actor, both? He, he's done a little bit of everything, but he's he's um, he's getting his feet wet in the author thing. He's this is this right now. This book that we're looking at is his second. And my first. This so, book is so freaking gorgeous. I mean, talk about a coffee table piece. Yeah. This is a looker. It's also heavy. Like, you could hurt someone with this thing. Oh, like, well, that's good to know. Someone. So if someone yeah. comes in unexpectedly, sure. you just pick up your Dungeons that's and right. Dragons book. It has many uses. 
Many uses. All right, so listen, your mom and dad not in the business. No, no. And how did they feel? At what age did you decide you were going to be uh, taking this uh, course? Well, when I was young, I, I think I thought I wanted to be an actor, but then I, I, I actually I actually grew out of it. I actually was like, that's not realistic. You can't be... I'm, I, Were I'm you in, in drama, though, in school? I was, but but I, I transitioned to that just being a hobby, like being for fun, because I was like, there's no, there's no way some kid from Glenview can go and be an actor. So I came up with a essentially a much more realistic idea of what my life would be I I, I was like I'm going to be a rock star so, <laughs> so yeah like, that's the other thing he does one. music he's got a brand new indie album out um, which we'll talk about as well but so From wait one unrealistic goal to another and then and then what happened was I look I was not doing great in high school academically I was doing great when it came to doing plays and doing shows and comedy stuff and whatever Whatever extracurricular things I was doing really great, grades not so much. And my parents were like, you should go to college. And I was like, cool, dad. How am I going to do that? You know, <laughs> and because uh, I had long hair at the time. So, you know, um, and, and they were like, well, listen, you like drama, right? Says my parents. And I said, yeah, but it's for fun. And they're like, well, when you audition for the drama division in certain schools, they sometimes are easy on your grades because they think, well, you're an actor. You're not supposed to know about math and stuff oh, like that. Oh, kind of like a sports uh, uh, situation. Well, not that sports situation. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. They did not. There were no photographs taken to be doing things I don't do. But, but <laughs> like, just to leave that alone for a second. Basically, yes. They, they go – generally, they go easy on your grades a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit if you're auditioning. But you do have to audition for these schools. And one of the schools that I auditioned for, I thought there was no – I thought it was a big waste of time to go audition for this school because they only took 20 people a year. And that's the school that took me. Who, and this one, this particular school doesn't look at your grades at all. They just look at your talent. Just the odd. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, that's you know, what it boils down to. Sort of, I guess. And and that was uh, Juilliard. So yes. I'm, here I am, like oh, this oh, long hair. Excuse me. Oh, oh God. that was Juilliard. <clears throat> well, Hello, Z. Yeah. Do you know I mean, how many people die to go to Juilliard that want to be in the business? Well, what was funny was walking into that audition with like ripped jeans and like long hair and just a T-shirt and looking like a just a loser. And everyone else was dressed really nice and everyone was doing weird exercises. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing here, man. And I even told them that. Well, like, they were thespians. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. And. and and so my irreverent attitude, I think, helped me get into that school. But then, funny enough, that same irreverent attitude helped me get invited to leave that school two, two years later. Oh, so, really? Oh, yeah, They yeah, kicked yeah. you out? Yeah. Well, no, they invited me to leave. Oh, they- and I took their invitation. <laughs> I was like, sure. How does that go down? They asked me. And I they said, go, would yeah. you like to leave? I said, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> this hurts my ego. What is going on here? Yeah. But in high school, besides <laughs> drama classes, you were a lead singer in a high school band called Love Plumber. How the hell do you know that? I- <laughs> That's not, we shouldn't be saying that. Uh, what kind of a name is Love Plumber? It's a terrible Plumber. name. It's a really bad name. Who named that? Me? But, but some, See, I wonder why yeah. it didn't go anywhere. The lead singer of Love Plumber has been asked to leave Julia. <laughs> what? Not Love Plumber. Not them. The paradigm of 
It's just so, you know. I mean, come on. Oh, I mean, come yeah. on. Yeah, Love I Plumber. Seriously. I cracked up when I really, when I read that. I was cracking. So up. many things that I've spent a lot of time on are really dumb. <laughs> and Love Plumber. But they've got you where where you are today. I guess, okay. sort of. Yeah. Um, all right. So you get asked to leave Juilliard. Yeah. Um, but you still want to act now, right? Well, no. Well, yes. Yeah. Well, the moment I left, uh, that I left Juilliard. You yes. see that? Yeah, I like how you I said changed that. the yeah. narrative. <laughs> I left them. You can't fire me. I quit. Um, no, but the the so the whole thing was it wasn't like what was what was fun was that there were some kids in high school that liked to make up rumors that the reason I I was asked to leave Juilliard was because I was like a heroin addict or something. <laughs> it was amazing. You? Yeah, we had a very yeah. I know you know me, right? I know you, and yeah. that is the furthest thing yeah. ever. But there were some really great stories that I. He heard. doesn't even take cream in his coffee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but the, come on. The uh, yeah, I, I don't drink or anything like that. Um, but but um, but the truth was, I was just I I loved some of the things they were teaching and didn't have any regard for the other stuff. So they were so like you were like a cafeteria a Juilliard, uh, person. and that was a great cafeteria. Let me tell you, it was incredible. Every day, you walking, pick and choose what you want, not you, and you eat it. Yeah, every day. Um, but yeah, so so I was more of I had more of an a la carte thing with Juilliard, where I was like, I love this voice and speech stuff. I don't necessarily understand all of this movement stuff. I, you know, so I was like, I was selective. I don't care as much about the theater history stuff, although I respect it. I care more about that now, funny enough. Obviously. So once I was asked to leave Juilliard School of Drama. I wonder if you're the only person ever asked to leave. <laughs> I'm just yeah, curious. Sure. I mean, I'm just curious how many sure. people have been Robin asked Robin Williams to leave. wasn't asked to leave at no, all. No, I don't no. think so. <laughs> yeah, that was the whole thing is that people that went on to do, you know, there's, look, I got people who probably among the faculty, there was probably the opinion from of some people that I didn't maybe didn't belong there. There were probably some people who thought I was no good. There were some people who thought I was really good and Do you told think that so. the people that thought you didn't belong there just were basing it on the way you came in with your torn jeans and your and your crappy outfit on? Do you think that's <laughs> what it was? Let's, let's revise the narrative, shall we? Let's say that they loved that free spirit and they but they wanted to tame it and I wouldn't be tamed. No, no, no. I mean, look, the the fact is is that is that uh, I just it wasn't a good fit for me, but uh, but I got some really wonderful encouragement from some of the founding members on my way out. And in fact, one of them who will remain nameless because he he, he swore to me that he would hurt me if I ever told anyone he said this. Is it somebody we would all know, though? No, but, okay. but he is someone who has saved uh, a franchise or two that I can't even talk about because then people would know who he is. Okay. But like he, he's come in and troubleshoot some things okay some things that are very dear near and dear to our hearts but he he said listen the school does take something from some actors and you are one of the actors that has something that we probably shouldn't take from you and what was that I don't know. To he this day, I have no idea what he's talking about. But he, but do you he's, think? Do you think it could just be the fact that you're so alive, and the fact that you are? <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Because sometimes you get suppressed into well, things. The school at that time did have a reputation. I'm only learning this now from directors in L.A. That that everyone coming out of the school was talking like this, and they were perfect, Julia. And 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 I think what he was saying is, no, this weird thing that you 
that you that, that you, you bring to the, the individuality. Table. Maybe you need to go and con people into giving you money for that, rather than us ta- training you out of it. Right. Because they do teach you how to walk. Because they were trying to suppress who you were. They were Sam trying was. to suppress. That's right, dude. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but they do. In fact, you you know, I spent two years there with people critiquing how you walk and talk. Isn't and, that amazing? But but the idea, yeah, yeah. So it's, and it's such a renowned school. They uh, do it a little differently now. Oh, good. Yeah, they do. Oh, good. They, uh, they must have been told uh, by other people that it just uh it wasn't working but I'll, I'll tell you this though as much as i'm i'm giving them some crap and and by the way some of the crap that me and and other people that i went to that school with some of the crap that we give them we now that we're professionals know that they deserved it ah having said that some of the teachers there were incredible like like you know look i'll, I'll talk about this this Star Wars habit that I have, if it weren't for Ralph Zito at Juilliard, I never would have gotten those Star Wars gigs because he was the one that really gave me an awareness of what the hell I was doing with my voice and speech. Really? Oh, yeah. So I used his Juilliard training for evil. Oh, so, well, that worked out well. So what was your first paid acting gig? <laughs> I was a ninja in a Chicago Bulls commercial. Really? Yeah, I showed up to this audition and they were like, so so we're having martial artists come in. Are you a martial artist, says someone in Chicago to me. And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not. And so I went in and they lined me up against all these martial artists. And they would they were literally went on. They were like, okay, do a martial arts routine. And I'm standing there going, oh, no. Oh, no. So then a guy in, like to my right would do like a flip and a kick and this and that. Oh. And then another guy would like, you know, maybe have nunchucks or something like that. And I'm like, okay, Bruce Lee movies, Enter the Dragon. Okay, what would he do? <laughs> and then I started just doing this stuff. Like, you know. Like crazy stuff. I did crazy stuff. And, and, and to my shock, I remember immediately after I did this crazy thing, like with my hands and my this and that and punches and kicks. And the guys next to me looked at me like, whoa, wow, this guy knows his stuff. And, like, and I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Fake out, and buddy. I, and I got, me and like two or three others got the job. Now the thing is, I was wildly unqualified for this job. So, so I had to like leap from a small table in some very rich person's house on the North Shore of, of Lake Michigan, in some mansion we were shooting in. And there were all these expensive... You know, furniture pieces. How and I'm, old were you? I'm, I'm, I'm 19 or 20. 19, 20, yeah. You know, You're fresh, back, fresh. Fresh out of getting yeah. kicked out of Juilliard. Fresh out of getting kicked out. <laughs> and, and so I'm standing on this little table and they're like, and you, they point to me, do like a double cl- kick in the air and then land between this table and this couch. Very expensive oh, table. Oh, now they're choreographing your yeah. your non-move. And I'm supposed to do a, like a, a double kick over this one ninja and land on the thing in a certain position. And I'm How'd like. How'd that work out? I will tell you this. I did not break the table. <laughs> Every take, I did land where I was supposed to land, did the kick. We were all supposed to do martial arts things at the same time. And then for the next two or three weeks, I walked with a limp. That's basically <laughs> it. I'm not kidding you. For the next two to three weeks, I, wa- I, was, I was taxing myself beyond... And and what's great is it took them six months to pay me. So walk with a limp for three weeks, six months to pay me like four hundred dollars. It was great. So did you continue doing commercials, or did you go right into doing episodics and TV stuff in no, that way? No, no, no. I was very I was very lucky because I had a parent's basement to hide in, because I I would get little things in Chicago and like hand the money over to my 
parents because I was staying in their basement. <laughs> and but 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 I, I couldn't get arrested in Chicago even for theater. Well, it's def- it's a difficult place to work anyway. Don't you make have excuses. To come to L.A. Right? Don't make excuses for me. <laughs> Maybe I sucked. I remember going to an audition for a theater thing, and like an idiot. Doing a be like okay, Sam. What will you show us? I'm like okay. Well, let me warm up first. And I did like a, I, I warmed up in front of. And How do you then, warm up? What's like, your warm up? Like mm, ah, all that. Oh, like you're gonna sing? Well, no, no, just vocal warm ups and stretching. And it didn't you occur to me. You do that before you do your voices. You well, what you want to do is do that before you walk into the audition, not in front of the people <laughs> you're auditioning for. So, and I and that was that's how I learned that. I was like, oh. Bad idea, huh? So the good news is, while I couldn't get arrested in Chicago, I was making all of the dumbass mistakes in Chicago good before idea. I came to L.A. Right, that's great. So, so you come to L.A., yeah. and and I, did it always start like this for your career? All these dark characters? No. Well, no. I mean, it was, I think, my first, my first job in L.A., which was after, I think, about a year of auditioning. Um, was that battle? Was that Battlestar? No, 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 no. It was like a two-line role on Jag. Oh! And I was like, "Sup? How's That's it? it? How's it going, Vic? Those are my two lines. Sup and how's it going, Vic? Now I want to point out, Sup was an ad lib. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Boom! I'm popping the collar. <laughs> my collar is being popped as we speak. Um, but and- for me, having floundered around and also having been, you know, asked very, you know, the, the, the humiliation of having been asked to leave Juilliard and then living in my parents' basement for while I was trying to figure out what the hell to do and how to become an actor. How did they take it, by the way, when you were asked to leave? Not good. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. It was, no, look, this, this had every indication of being like a disastrous life ahead of me. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. And, and so, and, and, and... And basically, um, yeah. Like, so when I got that that two line role on Jag, the world could not have been a brighter or more optimistic place at that point. I'm like, you were so excited. I was getting paid to be an actor, and and I wasn't going to walk with a limp for two weeks afterward. It was amazing. <laughs> and so then that that led to you know another co star where I had a few lines, and then and and the roles over time got bigger and bigger um but uh, i definitely battle star was your first big one that was the first one where i was like playing the same character over and over again and how long did you do how many seasons well here's the funny thing about battle star i was actually and and no one would believe this because i i barely show up in season one season two i actually had some cool stuff to do before they killed me off but like I was actually, I had a series regular contract on that show, which is weird. You know, for, I was getting paid really well because I was a series regular contract, but those contracts mean you can't do anything else. Uh. So, <laughs> so what happened with Battlestar? And this is my theory. First of all, I saw this incredible miniseries. Battlestar Galactica. It was going to be just a miniseries, but it was a backdoor pilot. And if the miniseries did well, they were going to create a television show. And the miniseries did well. And I was in love with this miniseries. I was like, this is incredible. So Before I, you even were on the show? Yes. So I was a fan of it. Got a hold of my this agent. seems to be your whole career. Yeah, I'm a you, fan you're of something. You're a fan of something and Get then you're in, in it. Make me be in it. I'm going to hang it. out with you. That's right. <laughs> so I literally called my agent. I'm like, you have to get me on Battlestar Galactica. I want to. I want a guest star on that show. I want to do an episode of Battlestar Galactica. And she's like, what? Battlestar Galactica? I'm like, trust me, it's amazing. Edward James almost, Mary McDonald, they're incredible. The whole cast is amazing. Get me on the show as a guest star. I want to do an episode. 
she makes that call. They come back being like, well, there's a series regular role that you can audition for. Long story short, I, I auditioned. <clears throat> they were like, well, we think you're in the running. Then it's like, no, you're not getting it. Then it's like, well, actually, maybe you are getting it. And the whole time I had no doubt that I actually was going to get it, which was weird considering how much, how many roles I haven't gotten at this point, right, yeah, in my career. Yeah, but you felt an instinct. There was a weird thing of like, I don't care what they say. I know I'm going to be doing this. That's so weird. And then I was on another, I was guest starring on NCIS. My head was shaved for some military role. They call me. They say, they want you for Battlestar Galactica. They want you to fly out tomorrow. And this is after months, months after the audition. So I'm like, well, that's terrific. What's the role? We haven't talked about this for months. Like, what's, what is it? And they're like, well, listen, they can't tell you about it right now, but they can tell you that it's a major role and they have plans for it. I'm like, really? Ah, cool. Awesome. Let's go to, let's move to Vancouver and do it. Then I get to Vancouver and I'm reading the first few scripts and my character's really like not in it a lot. So then I asked David Icke, the executive producer, I'm like, so what's, what's the deal with Crashdown? Where, where's the character? And he's like, well, I mean, I can't tell you that it's like a major role. It's not like we have plans for him or anything. And I'm like, what? literally word for word, the opposite of what I was told before I signed the paperwork. So I'm like, oh, I get it. They needed someone to sign the contract and fly out the next day, which probably means they had another guy in mind. That didn't work out. And then they needed someone to sign. So Sci-Fi Business Affairs just said whatever they had to say to get me to sign. So then I was like on this show that I loved dearly. But like, and I would see my character show up in in script drafts with great stuff. But every successive draft, the, the role would get smaller and smaller because they had such a huge cast. And all of this cast had been established in the miniseries. I was new. Right. So there was no room for this guy. So there would be these amazing little plot lines, but they'd get whittled down to nothing. And so eventually, I, I, I was very, I was like getting paid very well for the first time in my life. But that's not really what it's about when no. you first start, dude. No, because I'm like, I'm, I've left my life behind. Yes. I'm in Vancouver. What the hell do I do with myself? So I, I was recording music just to keep myself sane in Vancouver, just recording on my own in my lonely apartment. And in the meantime, I, I got so bitter and disenfranchised that I said to David Icke, I'm like, listen, man, you're paying me too much to hang out in an apartment alone. You should kill the character and take that money and buy an extra explosion or two. Or, what? or you know, what? and I did say, you can, and, and what's funny is you can actually listen to some of the, the, uh, director commentary on the blu-ray they they actually talk about this story so i i'm not actually making no one up. has ever said that i'm like kill me i'm here do it do it now kill me you know so so yeah i um they took, and they took your advice yeah, <laughs> they killed you right they off. did but but what david said and what ron moore said they said listen if we do decide to kill you off we promise we'll we understand you've been upset and we'll make it up to you by giving you a really cool death. We'll write you some cool material to go out on. And I was like, yeah, sure you will. All right, bye. And so then between in the hiatus between seasons one and two, I was a bitter, bitter man. And everyone was talking about how great Battlestar was. And I was like, I don't want to hear about it. you know. And I was really bitter about this thing because I loved this show. And but I wasn't. Al- but you. I wasn't allowed to participate. I yeah. read these scripts, and they were some of the best things that I ever read. And I wasn't allowed to do it. So then season two comes around. And I get this first script and there's stuff for me to do. And I'm like, yeah, but that'll be written out. And then I keep reading it. I'm like, wait, it's not being written out. So they're like, we need you for three episodes of season two. And in every one of those episodes, I had a 
my character finally had a definite function in these first three episodes. So how of could they kill two. you off? Well, but but what what it was was leading to kind of a glorious, amazing death <laughs> scene. No, but and that's what I that's what I wanted. Right. Um. So so by the end of it, um. Any grievance that I had about Battlestar, I eventually, because originally I'm like, I just want to be on an episode and contribute to that show and then leave. And so here I am with these three episodes where I get to contribute to the show. Finally, after, you know, like after two seasons, but well, it was not, it wasn't, after, it was the beginning of the second season. And uh, so I felt like, wow, these Hollywood is filled sometimes with people who are decent, who are just trying to do their best, who have other priorities than some young actor who just wants to, you know, do stuff and and really do when they say they feel bad about something mean they feel bad about something and so i went off i I left that show after i i died feeling very warmly about battlestar and ron moore and david ike and and i ended up becoming a fan of the show all over again and watching that show all the way to the end so so i became all over again the biggest battlestar fan on the planet because that's great well it was wonderful i was like again i got what i wanted from the show, right? Well, but I you was, spoke up about it. Well, and and again, to to Ron Moore and David Ike's uh, credit, carving out space for a character when you have twelve main characters not an easy is task. not easy. And they did it for three episodes in season two to to make up for the fact that they called a kid from L.A. to come and be Sing in the his, show uh, apartment. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, and 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 Ron Moore and I have maintained a friendship ever since. So. Battlestar Galactica has a very warm place in my heart, uh, especially since. And I, I, I here's 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 the insidious Hold that thought thing. for one yeah. second. We'll be right back. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. The, the funny thing with Battlestar Galactica is that it, it created kind of a monster with me because the entire time that I was on that show, David Icke said to me, he said, here's the rule on this show. Because if you're, if you're not happy with your role change it i'm like what what do you mean he's like well say one do one take is written and then just say whatever you want and i was like what you didn't know you were allowed to do that well you're ge- generally not right allowed to do that <laughs> right. so but this i've never before nor since had anyone invite me to do that and Ron, and and David I was like Which take did they use? Yours or theirs? Generally mine. Oh. Anything that was in season 1 where I'm speaking generally has some level of ad lib to it. That's Sometimes entirely. Yeah. Right? And 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 so they would be using the stuff. Now the problem is I've since that was a formative role in my acting experience, I have taken that with me much to the pain and suffering of <laughs> of everyone that I've worked with since because I have a very ad-lib nature on sets now. Ah, because how did of that Battlestar. go over with being human? By the way, um, <laughs> he played a vampire from 2011 to 2014, vampire Aiden Waite uh, on uh, Being Human. Did you ad-lib a lot of that? Yeah. 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 I did. How was that playing a vampire? Well, here's the, f- the funny thing about Being Human. When I got the script... the 
This show is about a vampire, a werewolf, and a ghost who live together in an apartment and try to teach each other how to be people. And as funny as that sounds like a sitcom, the funny thing is it was actually a drama. But it's a drama where... The it was ma- like a drama D. The drama yeah, It exactly. was a drama D. It's, it's a drama... Because w- we did laugh. Yes. <laughs> and it's a drama where the, 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 the comedy comes from the fact that these three individuals understand how ridiculous this is. And it's really uncomfortable for them. And so there was a lot of comedy. But bad things happen to these people. These, this vampire, this werewolf, and a ghost. And the, and the thing that made that show work was that, for example, for the vampire thing... Like when I read the script... I, I open it up and I read Vampire, and then I close it because I'm like, no, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't want to sparkle. I don't want to do, I don't want to do. There's so many vampires. Let's not. True Blood is already doing a bunch of. I don't want to do a goth thing. I'm already pale. Like, <laughs> let's not call attention to that. So, so, anyway, I turned down the audition, and then a friend oh. of mine called me two days later and said, "Hey, uh, where does?" She's like, "Did you?" I, I heard that you haven't gone in for the being human thing. And I'm like, and this is a friend of mine named Laura Terry, who's a producer over at CW now. And she goes, she goes, did you, you read the script, right? I'm like, yeah, I, I didn't like it. She's like, you didn't read the script. <gasps> and I'm like, what? She's like, you're lying to me right now. You didn't read the script. I'm like, well, I read like three pages. She's like, you read the script now, read it. So I'm like, okay. She's like, you have one job right now. You're an unemployed actor. Read the script. Right. And so I sat down, read the script, and what I realized pretty quickly was that this wasn't a vampire. This was like a uh, a drug addict who was trying to go clean. That's how he was written. That's what the metaphor was. That's what this was about for him. And uh, and it was a beautiful, beautiful it was a pilot. Fantastic role. Incredible, incredible script. That really, if you took the words vampire, werewolf, and ghost out of the show it still worked you know it was like it was really about these people and what they were doing the ghost was, was being human yeah the I ghost mean, was a metaphor for social anxiety and, and, and someone who's isolated in, in their home and is afraid to go outside and and the, the werewolf Sam Huntington uh, played it brilliantly in that he just had anger issues you know and, and uh, I love that show it was it was a, a beautifully written show and so I very sheepishly called up my my uh, I called up Didi uh, a friend and, of ours, which a friend of mine who was his manager. And, and I, I, I sheepishly called her up and said, hey, listen. Um, I'll take it. Can I go in for you? <laughs> and she, she grilled me. She's like, you just had me turn this down. What's your deal? I'm like, well, but I, yeah. She's like, you said you read it. You didn't like it. Yeah, but I read it again. And I did it and I like it. And and so she's like, okay, go go on in. And uh and it ended up being, a, I mean, an incredible, like Megan Rath, Kristen Hager, Sam Huntington. This was one of the hardest jobs to do because the, the, the days were Long. routinely 16, 17 hours. Yeah. Our longest day was a 22-hour day, which ruined us. Um, it was a very, very hard show to do because we had very limited resources, very small budget. And yet... I always look back as exhausted as we were. Uh, it was just such a it. wonderful experience because the writing, Anna Fricky, Jeremy Carver, you know, and and their entire group of cronies, uh, you know, um, in the writers' room, just week after week, wrote us the most amazing scripts, and we got to perform this this story that we all felt very very strongly about. Um, 
and we were just very invested. Um, it was a wonderful, incredible, hilarious, exhausting experience for four years. All right, well, let's get to the good stuff right now. <laughs> Not that that wasn't good, but this is just so fantastic, and I know this means just as much as being human, if not more, because you are a lifelong Star Wars fan. Uh, the love of video games, I don't even know how to describe <laughs> with you. Uh, you're an avid player of the games. Yes. Uh, you've yes. been doing that since you're a kid or yes. just your adult life? All the way back to Atari 2600, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, so you must have had a geek stroke <laughs> when you found out that you were going to be Darth Maul. Yeah. Well, but, but I had been having um, a recurring geek stroke since years before that because what what happened was this. I was at my brother's rehearsal dinner uh, for his wedding. And uh, I get a call from a pal of mine named David Collins, who at the time was a sound designer working his way up at LucasArts, the video game arm of Lucasfilm, owned by George Lucas. Um, and he calls me up and he's like, hey, man, can you step outside for a second? I'm like, well, I'm at my d- brother's rehearsal dinner. He's like, seriously, could you step outside for a second? I'm like, okay. And I'm in Chicago. He's in San Francisco. And he goes, listen, man, uh, Darth Vader has a secret apprentice. I'm like, wait, 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 what, what, what the what? He's like, wait, I never said anything. Forget that I said it. You need to send me your, your reel and your headshot. And I'm like, what, what's going on? He's like, it's weird, dude. The character looks like you. I'm like, what? And he's like, I didn't say anything. Just send the stuff. Unbeknownst to me, there is this project called Star Wars The Force Unleashed, this video game that they were putting together. And this artist named Amy Beth Christensen created a painting of a character, uh, stylized, you know, but but certain facial features, certain haircut, kind of a buzzed look, and kind of a, a demeanor in the, in the body language. And what I didn't know, and what my buddy was trying to tell me is like, if you look at your headshot and you look at this painting, same thing. It's like the same guy. It's a you know, it doesn't. It's not literally you, but it's a painting that that could very easily be you. And this is what they've decided on that they want the character to be like. And this is without knowing you, without knowing me, wow. without knowing me. And and he's like, and and later he's like, the reason I need you to send your headshot in is it's not just a voice gig. It's it's a mocap gig. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, they're going to be using the likenesses of the actors. As well as the voice. They feel like there is a, uh, a connection between the voice and the face and the, and the physical posturing of each actor. So they're hiring you all for the full package, which was not really done. In, in fact, not done no, at all in video games. They never need that. They never need that. Yes. Get, make the character yes, look how you want exactly. the character to look and then, and then hire the voice, voice actor. Yes. And then that's that. But Lucasfilm was like, no, we're going to try this thing. Which, again, it, what's kind of interesting is that since then, people have been doing it all over the place. Keanu Reeves is now doing it, yep. you know? Yeah. But back then, that was a weird new thing. So I go in for the audition, and I'm going to go geek on you here, right? So <laughs> so there's an audition where the character who's been trained by Darth Vader, right? He's been trained by Darth Vader in the ways of the Sith and this evil and fighting and all this awful stuff. But inside, he's a good kid. That's what they want. Inside, he's a good kid who's being trained by this awful parent. And uh, 
And in this one scene, my character is supposed to be meditating and pieces of his lightsaber are floating around and he's assembling his lightsaber with his mind, right? That was the scene. And then, and then he has some dialogue afterward. He gets startled out of the meditation and then he has some dialogue. And as I was doing the meditation, I was just, I was like my white knuckling it. I was gripping my fists and I was tense. And then sometimes I would have these little inhales and I was tense. And after we did the scene... The uh, the director goes, um, why did you do it like that? Hayden Blackman, the writer director of this wonderful writer, he's like, why why did you do it like that? He's meditating. Why were you so tense? And I'm like, well, dude, he doesn't know what meditating is. He sort of knows, but like he's a Sith. He hasn't been trained in meditation. He's trained in fighting and and he's tension and aggression. The Jedi know how to meditate. And the moment I said that, I looked through this window from the because they, we were in a recording booth at the time with cameras and stuff like that. And as I as I said that, I looked to the window and I saw everyone looking at each other because I was going geek on them. I was like, "Well, the Sith are all about this anger, fear, they aggression." They knew you knew what you were talking dark about. Side of the Force. How did you come up with that voice? The well, because Ian McDermott. Ian McDermott in in 19 when they were shooting return of the jedi 1981 1982 was like a 38 year old actor who they made up to be all old to become the emperor and i started figuring well if he was 38 and he could generate if he could perform a character the emperor and make us believe that they got some 90 year old actor there's no excuse for me i got to learn how to do that so so how do you do that you just I, I it, don't drink coffee in the morning. Get really cranky. Uh, no, it's it's this weird. Uh, I don't even know. Because you kind of contort your face when you, yeah. Well, that's the thing with with voice acting. If you don't also make foreign shapes with your face, yeah. your voice is going to sound the same. So if you move your lips in a different way, then suddenly, you know, you, you find yourself making different types of sounds. It's That's all so related. Crazy. It's kind of like what LucasArts said, that the, the, the face and the voice are related and you can sense that. So um, how many characters in total do you do for these uh, Star Wars oh, franchise animation video? Oh, God, I think I've done something like seven or eight different. Oh, my God. Gosh. Recurring characters for them. But 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 so this this Star Killer character, Darth Vader's Secret Apprentice, the game went on to be a big success. And then at that point, The Clone Wars, which was George Lucas's own pet project, which was this animated show, called me up and said, Listen, we'd like you to come on the show. I'm like, Great, perfect. I love the Clone Wars. Wonderful. And they're like, You're gonna be playing in a three episode arc, I'm like, oh, cool. What's the role? They're like, you're the dark side of the force. I'm like, wait, what? So there's this weird episode where they meet a character who they're in this weird dream world, Anakin and, and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka are in this dream world. And they meet this character who is the living embodiment of the dark side. And from that experience of working with a guy named Dave Filoni, uh, who the, the very interesting story with Dave Filoni these days, but Dave Filoni, from that experience of working on the dark side and doing all this stuff and him knowing what a Star Wars geek, through working with me, him discovering what a Star Wars geek I was, caused him to call me up a year later and say, listen, I need someone to do Darth Maul because George is bringing him back into the world after he's been cut in half and we need something. This needs to be right or we're all dead. Can you do it? And it wasn't 
are you available to do it or do you want to do it? It was, am I making, am am I making a mistake by hiring you? Exactly. And so when he said, can you do it? I just, I lied and said, yeah, I can do it. You no problem. But we were, yeah. So that's how I started doing Darth Maul is the, the Starkiller video game character led to me playing a character called the sun, who was the dark side of the force. And that led to them thinking the dark, who by the way, had very similar voice to my own, but that led Dave to thinking, well, if he, pushes his voice a little bit further, maybe he could play Darth Maul. So that's how that And happened. that's how it all happened. Now, you're such a fan that when you see the finished product, do you forget it's you? Well, that's the fun thing about this. With Clone Wars and stuff like that, this animated stuff, Star Wars, Rebels, you do it, you record it, and then the animators take that and animate to what you did. Yeah, but you like live these roles. Well, yeah, but but, but the thing <laughs> is is that you you live it, you record it, but then you go away for a year. And they've been working on it for a year. So you come back not remembering what you did. And then you see it. So as a so on some level as a Star Wars fan, I'm just watching I'm like what's Darth Maul up to? Do you have a Darth Maul doll? I mean, we should have a Darth Maul doll, don't look, you think? I mean, like, there's I'm one or two, man. Like, but they get it's for free, guys. They gave it to me, and then the ones that I bought afterward was just supporting. I was just listen. We're not judging you. No, Hold guys. On. I didn't mean it like that. I meant, is there a Darth Maul and it's doll not a doll. after you? It's not a doll. It's an action figure, it's an action figure. Okay, guys. <laughs> It's okay. <laughs> I see that we're going to have a great time here on the show. Let me that. Do terrible. you have an action figure sure. of Darth Maul that uh, is you? Well, you know what's funny? I have several action figures of Starkiller, the video game character. That ah. is literally me. Okay. So that's my likeness. That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I'm Be- trying to get to yeah. that. <laughs> Somehow I've put you with a doll. Yeah. And then Darth Maul? Sure. Uh, In theory, I have many. All right, so <laughs> Sam does, doesn't do uh, voices and acting, but he also sings. And so uh, you also play a lot of instruments, don't you? I guess so, yeah. What do you mean, I guess? Of course you do. I'll, tell, I'll, I'll, I'll humble badly. brag for him. It's not badly. He does a great job. And you've just released some new indie music. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yes, yes, I can. Um, it's called the album is called Revenge of the Crash Tones, and uh, it's a we're very, gonna we're gonna play a little yeah. bit of it. It's it's very it's weird. It's weird because it's it's basically me my interest in different genres of music and different eras of music. So the the drums are very nineteen. Because when I met you, I think you were doing some heavy metal crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm just sure. making sure. And I'm still doing some of that, but but I'm also, for example, like the drums are very nineteen sixties, played expertly by my friend Tim Hibben. Sixties drums, seventies bass lines. 1980s keyboards. So wow. Some synth you got every decade stuff. in there. And then 90s guitars. And then to go back, let's go back to the 40s and 50s. Let's go to like some Bernard Herrmann, Day the Earth Stood Still, like, you know, like weird theremin effects and and a little bit of John Carpenter type well, music. Well, hold on a second. There. Let's just hear a little bit. Sure.
So yeah, you can hear it's it's several different it's genres. It's very different from they what don't, you've been doing. It's it's yeah, it's like it's like the Reese's peanut butter cup of music where it's like you try to take good flavors and put them together and hopefully they work. But it's yeah, different genres that don't belong together. And the title is Revenge of the Crash Tones. Oh, I like it. So yeah. And if that's not enough, you guys, he and I wish that we had a camera in here so you could see it. But you know what? I think we're going to hold this up with our picture that we post because this book you and your brother wrote, Dungeons and Dragons, besides the artwork on the cover, I mean, it is a, you know what? It's a visual history. What it a great a what a great history. thing. It's actually I'm I'm stealing that he wrote that on the book. But <laughs> but it actually is a visual uh, a visual history. This is the most beautiful book I have seen. Honestly, I mean, I got shoe books, I got Manolo Blahnik, I got some books, but this book is, I'm so proud of this book, and it's not even my book. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how that came to be, what, how you decided you want to do that, and then this was some process yeah. to get the licensing and oh, everything that you've done in this book. It was book. like an Indiana Jones-like adventure to even find the artifacts to make this thing. It's I called mean, Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons, Art in Arcana. And uh, and what it is, is Kyle Newman, who is a film director, came to me and my brother and a Dungeons & Dragons historian named John Peterson, who's this very awesome guy who, like, worked in IT, made himself a bunch of money, and then goes, oh, great. Now, what do I want to do for fun? You know, like, and so he wanders the world doing interesting things. And so, and, and so he decided he wanted to become an expert on Dungeons & Dragons history. And he is now the expert on Dungeons & Dragons history. My brother wrote a biography of the guy who created Dungeons & Dragons. And Kyle is a lover of Dungeons & Dragons, and so am I. So Kyle comes to me and my brother and John and says, no one's ever done a really good art book for D&D. And as we started talking, we started realizing, you know, moreover, no one's ever really done a historical retrospective on the phenomenon that is D&D. Because it's a, it's a cornerstone of pop culture, whether people know it or not. Well, here's the thing. The reason that I think this book is so relevant right now and should sell the crap out of this book is Game of Thrones. Well, there if you go. If that didn't bring dragons to the forefront... Well, that's it. I don't know what could George do George R.R. Martin himself has said that this was a... Dungeons and Dragons was a major influence on Game of Thrones. Had to have been. And not only that, Dungeons and Dragons was a major influence on video gaming, on everything. So many pieces of our pop culture that we would never associate with Dungeons & Dragons actually come from that. And we realized, even though we know the history, we know the story of how this was a do-it-yourself Not everybody does. Yeah. I mean, this was like a guy and his family pasting together these little boxes and mailing them out from his home. That's how it started in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. I mean, come on. And it turned into this big thing. And it's having... it's. It, it's it's now more popular than ever, and people are everywhere playing it and proud to be playing it, which was not the way it was when I was in high school. You didn't tell people that you no. played D and D. Where can we get this book? Amazon. Go on Amazon or go to Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble has a. God, a there's a bookstore still around. That's right. <laughs> they have their own edition of the book. With, oh, is that right? With various special edition stuff in it. I have to say, you guys, get on it now for Christmas. I know it's only uh, June, but we are headed into July, and you know what happens after July, August. September, October goes like that. So get this book for Christmas and, oh, there's a DVD. Actually, that is a uh, PlayStation for exclusive. This is a game? That is a game. And if you no- that's if you notice, that's, you know how I said like the, the Star Wars game I did years ago? Yes. 
began this trend of using actors' likenesses, scanning them into the computer, and, and having them be That's the likeness. You? Yeah, this is like the, the this is what we did in Force Unleashed, except now a decade later. This, the technology has come so far. So this was a game called Days Gone. Crystal's going to be playing that. <clears throat> it just came out. It's basically it's Walking Dead meets Sons of Anarchy. Oh! violent and i'm very violent every other word is f-bomb or whatever but what's what's cool is i mean it took us i I was on that project for four years and it just released oh that's fantastic we shot six hours where do we get that that you can get anywhere it's it's called days gone yeah playstation 4 and it's a very realistic end of the world type game and you're a biker on your bike trying to figure out what happened so it's, this is your likeness on the cover. That's me. That's I'm, really I'm awesome. The lead it does character. It's yeah. cool, right? Doesn't it look like him? The biker version. <laughs> things have changed since the Star Wars Force Unleashed thing. Like the the technology has come so far. So while Star Killer was literally me, this is literally me. But they have little, even my little facial ticks and quirks are built into the character. Oh, that's it's, so cool. So when I'm watching these scenes in the sh- wow. in the in the game. Sometimes they're so good that I'm like, did we just shoot that with a regular that film camera? That is so camera? cool. Very interesting stuff. And where can we get the music? The music, I think the best way to do that would probably search Amazon for The Crash Tones or Revenge of the Crash Tones. It's also on vinyl, which is oh, yeah. f- fun. The little. vinyl is so big again. I, I mean, vinyl. vinyl is so big again. Do you collect? Do you guys collect? I do. Vinyl? She does. I'm not a big collector of the vinyl. I can't. Sorry. But uh, I have to say, buy the book, buy the CD at the same time, then go get yourself the PS4 uh, Days Gone, and you can actually see Sam while you're playing uh, the game, which is so cool. Sam, I mean... Listen, this, as a, for a child, much less an adult, is a dream and then some come true for you. And something tells me you're just at the beginning of this crazy adventure. We'll see. I, I happen to think that this book of yours could maybe be taken in to the television We're world. exploring a couple things. We'll, we'll see what What's happens. next for you? Um, well, I just finished with uh, Supergirl. Uh, being their villain of this past season. Uh, yeah, we just had Nicole Maines on. Yes, who's amazing. Oh I God, love do Nicole. I love her? You know what's you know what's I so, love her. You know what was so difficult about that was that Nicole, as a person, represents. She plays Neonal slash Dreamer. That's right, and and as a person, the theme of who Nicole is is inclusivity. You know, of of just being inclusive, being welcoming, having open arms. And the theme of my character on that show was quite the opposite. So it, it was, yeah, I, I, I love that I have friendship with the people that on screen I hate. It was like it was because it was very uncomfortable well, you are to hate actor. your friends. On, yeah, <laughs> but it's really uncomfortable to to to, to hate your friends um, on screen. Yeah, it's not fun. I bet it. I bet it's not fun yeah. in, in in any world. But, that's not fun, much yeah. less in the uh, no. in so, the superhero. So moving world. on, I'm hoping I'll, I'll I'll there there are some things in the works, and we'll see if they happen. And maybe I'll play a nice guy here and there. That would be great. There's some, again, I can't really announce anything, but I can announce this. I can, this has been announced, right, so I can talk about it. leave us with something good. Yes. Back in 2013, I think, Star Wars The Clone Wars was canceled before we could finish the story. We did six seasons, and George Lucas had a plan for how that show was going to end, and we were canceled. When, when Disney took over, they wanted to have their own 
Star Wars animated show. So they commissioned the same group to do Star Wars Rebels, which we all ended up working on anyway, which takes place uh, at a different time in the Star Wars history. Well, now, Clone Wars is back. We're making it again. Ah! Because the fans would never shut up about it, we are now making the seventh and final season of Clone Wars where we get to finally finish the story as George Lucas intended it. And Dave Filoni uh, is largely the guy who has made this happen. Dave Filoni, who was George's trainee, who was in charge of the Clone Wars, he was in charge of Rebels under George. Uh, he was in charge of the Clone Wars. I, I assume you and George <clears throat> are pretty friendly. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're best friends. It's great. Um, <laughs> that is the best George it's, Lucas! <laughs> it's, yeah, I, all I gotta say, dude, the, the man is my hero, so I, I do that with love. Um, but here's the thing. Dave Filoni, my buddy who's been the supervisor of these animated projects, is now the showrunner for the first Star Wars TV show, his directed episode. He's now firmly in the live-action world, and I believe he used his... He used his his capital at Lucasfilm as he gained momentum in Lucasfilm um, to recreate the Clone Wars, to bring that show back for the fans, to give them the ending that they deserve. So you see, you guys, so, you speak and George Lucas listened. That's right. There and it is. Sam, you are the best. I'm so happy you came in to share all this. You guys, Dungeons and Dragons is the book. Days Gone is the game, the P- PS4 game on PlayStation. And then the CD is Revenge the Crash Tones Revenge on Vinyl 2. Yeah. Uh, just leave us with um, maybe uh, have Arnold talk to Christopher Wise. Just okay. something. All right. <clears throat> All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Emperor. I brought Arnold Schwarzenegger to talk to you. Excellent, Mr. Schwarzenegger. Do you have anything to say in your defense? Yeah, yeah, let me tell you something. I'm not intimidated by you sitting there in your big chair with your Death Star around this. And it's like, come on, kill me, I'm here. But really, what are you going to do? You're standing there like an idiot. (laughs) I'm not impressed by you. Lord Maul, dispatch him. Uh, I'm, I'm not going against Arnold Schwarzenegger, my master. He's very... That's right, yeah, Darth Maul's afraid of me. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Idiots. There you go. You're the best, Sam. I love you. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Thank <laughs> you. That's the best. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.